Well, it, uh, it should go without saying, but uh, in this day and age, it needs to be said that uh, the devil is in fact real. And uh, for he is uh, clearly uh, embedded throughout scripture and certainly throughout all of tradition. Um, Jesus believes Satan is real. Uh, God believes Satan is real. It would probably behoove us to also believe that Satan is real. Um, we know, of course, that uh, Satan was an angel. Satan was created by God. Satan was created good. But uh, at his first decision, as it were, for God or against God, chose against God and therefore was, as it were, thrown out of heaven. Uh, so here we have uh, Satan tempting Jesus uh, in the desert. We know this story, right? We've heard this many times. What I'd like to point out or interpret um, are the, the, three, the three temptations and, and one particular facet, if you will, of those temptations um, and how they relate to us. So kind of the particular sin that is, Jesus is being tempted to and then, of course, how that correlates to us. So Jesus goes into the desert. He's led into the desert to be tempted. Now, why would this happen? You know, why would God want his son to be tempted? Well, remember that um, Jesus takes our place, right? Jesus takes our place on the cross. Jesus, uh, therefore, and, and the Father, desires that his son understands what it feels like to be human. So that the feeling of being human, except for sin, is not spared on Jesus. So that he feels what, it li what it's like to, to be tempted, to have these desires, uh, to be, uh, so that he knows what we go through to be tempted away from what is good, to be tempted away from God. And although he doesn't fail in that, he feels it just as much as we feel it. So a person, a person who doesn't sin in a particular area, that doesn't mean they don't feel the temptation just as much as somebody else, right? Or think of it another way. Um, there are certain sins that when you were oh, I don't know, 13, you know, that you maybe committed all the time. But now that you're, I don't know, 80, you know, 65 or 47, you know, the sins of, of 13 don't, they don't tempt as much, right? But they're there. You know, you might have the temptation to lie, but at 47, who cares? You know, I mean, it's just easier to tell the truth. But when you're 13, you want to get away from, you want to get away with it because you don't want to get punished by your parents or your teacher. But when you're 47, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to lie or when you're, you know, when you're an adult. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you're 13 either. But the motivation is different. The temptation is stronger, but the temptation is still there. That doesn't mean just because you're older or just because you don't sin, you don't feel the temptation. If you understand my meaning. So Jesus feels the temptation just as strongly, even though he doesn't commit the sin. So here he is in the desert, fasting for 40 days. We know he's not going to sin because he's God. All right, we know what's going to happen. We know he's going to sin because he's God. He can't sin. 
That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that he feels the temptation, just as we feel the temptation. He is hungry. Of course he's hungry. He's a man. He's a human being. He has not eaten. He's hungry. So when the devil says, look, turn the stone into bread, there is a feeling of, yeah, I could do that. Right Inside the Lord, there is a tension of, I could make my life easier physically if I just made bread. And of course, we know we can do it. We know he could do it. He knows he could do it. So the temptation is to use his power, right? To, to ease his physical suffering, right? There's a temptation to... Um, to a physical, a physical sin, as it were. So the temptation here is to, to kind of the lower nature, to physical goods. Bread is not evil, right? Bread is not an evil thing. But to use his power to give himself creaturely comfort, right, would be to misuse his power in this instance. And, and what it kind of represents for us is every time we're tempted to, uh, to sin by way of physical pleasure or material goods. And this represents, again, the, the lowest form of human nature, our, our, our animal nature, as it were, right? Um, whether that be food or, or physical pleasures or the acquisition of things, right? We're all tempted in these different ways. What's interesting about those sins is that we always think those are the worst sins. And they're, they're not the worst sins. They're actually the least sins. The reason we think they're the worst sins is because we tend to be the most embarrassed by those sins. And I think the reason we're the most embarrassed by those sins is because we, we feel like we should be better than that. Right? Because it's sort of like we're giving into our sort of animal nature, as it were, or our lower nature in the tradition, it's called as opposed to our higher nature, our spiritual nature. So we give into that, and then we're, we're kind of embarrassed, like, I should be better than this. So the Lord does not give into it. And this Lent, right, one of the reasons we fast, one of the reasons, I hate Lent, by the way, I can't stand Lent, just so you know. I like Advent, it's short, it's still kind of happy, you know. You can do you can sing the glory. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this. I'm a priest, right? I'm supposed to love everything. I don't. I like to eat meat. Um, so we got to, you know, we, we can't eat meat. Ah, so it is penance for me. I have to wear purple. It's a Minnesota Vikings color. I can't stand that. As a Green Bay Packer fan, it's, it's total penance. Anyway, so we give, we give up stuff, right? We give up doing... You know, eating meat and we give up other things um, to to demonstrate some self-mastery over physical goods. All right. Next temptation is that the Lord would, um, you know, use his power um, or he would worship Satan and then gain power over all of creation. Now, what's interesting about this is Satan doesn't actually have the authority to give him power over the world, right? We have to remember that every time Satan speaks, there's, there's probably some truth and some falsehood. Just like when he said to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you're not gonna die, 
Well, that was true and false at the same time, which is how Satan works. It, it was true she would not die in that instant, but it was false because she would die. That's, in fact, one of the consequences of original sin was death. Because God had said, if you eat it, you would die, right? So he was telling the truth, but he was also lying. This is what Satan does. He twists things. So Satan, you know, telling the Lord, I, I'll give you the whole world. In one sense, it's true. In one sense, it's false. But what he's tempting the Lord to is power. He's tempting the Lord to power. If you just bow down and worship me, I will hand over the entire world to you. He's tempting God. So you get a sense here that Satan doesn't really know who Jesus is, right? Because he's tempting God with just the world. Jesus created the world, right? The second person of the Trinity was with the Father when he created all things. All, the entire Trinity was active in creation. The Father, Son, and the Spirit created everything together. And Satan is tempting Jesus with, I'll give you the world. Jesus created the cosmos, the entire existence itself. It's not, that's not a temptation, right? That's like saying, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Canada, you know. I'll give, <laughs> I don't know. I shouldn't pick on Canada. Canada's fine, uh, but it's just not overwhelming, you know, to Jesus. I'll give you the world. So what? I created everything. I created you. Satan, I created you, and you're going you're gonna to give me the world? It's not tempting, but on one, in one sense it is. It's, it, it must be tempting in Jesus' human nature. It's not tempting in his divine nature, but in his human nature, it has to be tempting in some way. And this represents, of course, all of our temptation to power. Right, where is this made manifest the most? Well, one might say that politicians are tempted by power. It doesn't matter which side you pick. Politicians tend to be corrupted by power. I don't want to say all of them are, but they tend to be. And really, anybody in a position of authority is tempted by power. There's a temptation of power. But even if you, if you drill down even further, you know, relationships can have a real imbalance of power as well. It's, it's amazing when you look at relationships, whether they be, you know, significant others or friendships um, or even acquaintances, how often people try to use power, coercion, uh, different forms of manipulation, emotional manipulation, you know, guilt, um, all kinds of different forms of power to manipulate another person. You see it all the time. I mean, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in, you see it in married couples all the time. You see it in, in couples who are dating. It's usually what causes the most amount of problems in relationships is this desire for power. And then to assert that power over the other person, the, the competition to have the upper hand in the relationship. And a healthy relationship, right, 
is always going to be the, the whether it's a couple or, or it's a friendship, is always going to be a relationship where the two have allowed that desire for power to abate. Right? They've, they've allowed that desire for power to, they've let it go. And they, they no longer compete for that power. And if you were to, as, as we're in Lent, if you, if you were to examine your relationships, and me too, if we look at our relationships and we look at the ones that are unhealthy, you know, we look at it and we say, gosh, I, I just can't get this one right. Or if you look at even your, maybe your marriage, you know, you look at your marriage and you say, you know, it's just not going that, that well right now. There's a really good chance that if you look at the power relationship, you know, the, the issue of coercion or the imbalance of power, the desire to manipulate, there's a really good chance that that is operative in that relationship. The temptation to be in charge, the temptation to have power over another person is a great temptation. Okay, so the last one. The last one is a temptation to the worst sin there is. All right, Satan says, go to the parapet, throw yourself off the parapet, don't worry, you're so important. You are so important that God is not, he's not going to let anything happen to you. The angel's going to save you. God's going to save you. You are so important that, that nothing will befall you. It's a temptation to pride. For the Lord to look upon himself as so important, right, that nothing can happen to him. He can be so careless with his life that, you know, the father or the angels are always going to bail him out. This is the worst sin. You know what's fascinating about this sin? So I'm almost 18 years a priest. This sin is hardly ever confessed. It's hardly ever confessed. And it is the worst sin by far. It is the sin of Satan. The sin of Satan is a desire, was his desire to be like God. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. It's original sin, the desire to be like God. Our greatest sin today in the world is the desire to be our own God, to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. I don't need the church. I don't need a priest. You probably don't, but you know, I don't need the church. I don't need any other authority. I don't need God. I can decide for myself. I don't need my parents. I can decide for myself what is right. I'll decide what's true. I'll decide what's false. I will decide for myself. This, this is pride and arrogance. It is the most heinous sin ever. It's the sin that Satan is tempting Jesus to be, to, to, to make himself the center. And when we are tempted to this sin, this, this is a disaster. It's a great disaster. And this is why, you know, if you, if you look at your lives, if we look at our lives and we wonder why so many things might befall us, you know, why, why is my life not working out the way it should? Why does God visit, it seems, why does God visit misfortune upon me? Why do things not seem to work out? The Lord constantly is trying to teach us humility. He constantly will teach us humility because we need it. We need it so often. What is humility? What is humility? This homily is never going to end. 
Okay, I'm wrapping it up. Don't worry. What is humility? Humility is, the simple definition is, humility is not thinking less of myself. A saint said this, I forget. I think it's one of the Teresas. Not thinking less of myself, thinking of myself less often. It's, it's thinking of other people first, putting other people before ourselves. It's, it doesn't mean having low self-esteem. A person should have good self-esteem. They should see themselves as blessed, as good. That's a healthy, a healthy way to look at oneself. But then to let go of it and to put other people first, to not put oneself at the center of the universe, but to look for ways to do good for others, to be charitable to other people. Okay. So as we continue with Lent, this is only the first week. It's only going to get worse from here. <laughs> so... <laughs> We'll keep looking at different, different facets of, of, of our spirituality, right? And ways that we can, ways that we can reflect on, on uh, our sins or our temptations and ways that we can improve, all right? And we'll just try to use this Lent, this miserable time together of, uh, of, of, of seeing how it can be blessed. And the way that it can be blessed is being released from these temptations and sins. Please stand.